Oh, it's another day, another way for the Digital Bytes podcast. We cover the newsletter, which is changing in front of our eyes. And it's going to be available on the new website, which is evolving in front of... We're all growing up. We're putting on our big boy pants for Digital Bytes and this podcast. Johnny, is your, your big boy pants on? I got my big... No, I've got, I've got my skinnies on today because it is so hot here in London. You know, we, we've got a heat wave. They reckon it's going to be hotter than Los Angeles in London today. So Blighty is, well, people are swimming in the Thames. Well, not quite, but um, I did see people playing in the sand um, along by the side of the Thames. We've got a little stretch of sand um, opposite St. Paul's, um, under Tate Modern, which is a big old filthy power station now turned into a trendy art gallery. And um, I was up there this morning and um, it's uh, Friday the what 7th, uh, 8th today. Um, we're recording this and we've got a bit of a heat wave for the next week, um, getting up to 30 degrees, which in in your money is uh, late, late 80s. So for London, that's that's very hot. The late 80s. I don't remember much of the late 80s, but yeah, we're doing the same thing down here. It's we are for a lack Cooking. of a better. How do we how do we do Fahrenheit? We are we are averaging 100 degrees here. 100 degrees, yeah. So that's uh, late, this 30, mid, low 30s. The low 30s. Because if, if it's 30 degrees, you, you double it, um, right. add 30, take off two. That's some really weird blockchain type math, isn't it? It is. It's an alg- algorithmic temperature calculator. What if our Fahrenheit deep pegs from Celsius? Would that be like a major weather event? Well, Celsius is gone, hasn't it? It liquidated. Centigrade, <laughs> liquid <laughs> Celsius. Oh my goodness! Somebody has to. We're going to have to take a billion dollars and create Fahrenheit. Oh my goodness! Well, well, you know who could do that? FTX. They seem to be throwing so much money at the crypto market at the moment. You know, and um, they're almost acting as the sort of the the banker of last resort. <laughs> the banker of last resort. Does that mean that that's where all the job opportunities are going to go? FTX. I I reckon it's a land grab. I really do. I think they're, they're 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 spending money like water because they're picking up customers, they're picking up new products, um, and it's uh, you know they're still rumored to be going to have a go at Robin Hood, and it's um, yeah. Well, we've covered this a little bit in the past where you've seen the traditional asset managers getting involved in sort of the DeFi space, and you've got DeFi people getting involved with the traditional asset managers. Um, you know, we've seen recently J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, biggest bank in the world outside of China announcing that they're going to bring trillions of dollars to DeFi. We were talking about that, I remember, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm hoping that next week I can bring you some news um, of a brand new um, regulated digital platform. And um, another very, very big European fund manager is talking about digitizing um, their um, a range of their funds. And I think we're now gathering this momentum where this is nothing to do with crypto. This is about effectively putting a digital wrapper um, around a real asset. In this case, it's a mutual fund. You know, we've seen it with people like Santander did the corn coin. We were talking that before um, they got corn coin and wheat coin and oat coin, stuff like that. We've seen it with central banks doing it with, um, with currencies. Um, we've seen it with people um, doing it with, um, you know, society general. You remember we had our friends, the Luxembourgers, they were talking about had debt instruments in Luxembourg being issued. Um, and then we've got the obviously a num- number of equities being very, you know, going back to FTX. I think they've got four, uh, 90. They've got 90 different traded equities that you can now trade in a digitized format. 
So it re- really, you know, anyone that says, look, this thing is for the birds and it's not happening. Absolutely no way. We're going to see more and more people, more and more companies uh, actually digitizing um, real assets. And and that kind of leads on to our first article, James. I um, talking about job opportunities for people who work in the blockchain industry. I'd, have you been dusting down your CV? Ironically, I was going to tell you this story offline. <clears throat> One of my previous employers had recently reached out to me. Uh, really? Not Ann Summers. Right? Who's Ann Summers? Oh, Ann Summers. She's like, um, um, what was it? Who's, who ran Playboy? Herbert Hoffman or the Hoff? Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner. Now that job yeah, I would take. Well, yeah, but yeah, well, well, Anne Summers is like Victoria's Secrets, but a bit spicier. Oh, well, I'll go for that too. I mean, if it's a part time. <laughs> but yeah, I was actually contacted yesterday, which I immediately said to myself, nah, I'm pretty happy, right? I'm happy with what I do. And very rarely could people say that. But it did. I was talking to a friend of mine, one of my business partners, and, and we were having this exact conversation. We said, Everybody thinks the economy is falling apart. Everybody thinks that we're broke and these banks are hiring. And sure enough, an old friend just happened to come out of the woodworks. And I'm going to go have a beer with him next week. Um, It's funny. He was probably one of the best directors that I ever answered to as a VP. And um, that particular corporate band. So he's hiking right now in the mountains of Georgia. And I haven't talked to him in five years. So as he tells me he's hiking in the foot mountains of of Georgia, I said to him, all this time, and you're still rubbing that whole ability to walk thing in my face. I was like, that's a dick move, bro. Dick move. If he was on the straight, you could easily outpace him in in your speedy wheels. Downhill, sure. (laughs) But but he, he reacted with, oh, my God, you haven't changed. And uh, so Good. we're going to go hook up. We're going to have a drink and, you know, and uh, I, I'm not going to. I'm very happy where I am. But I, th- you know, for a hot moment, health insurance, pension. Right. I was like, ooh, I forgot about all those. Well, but I can't do it. There's no salary in the world worth taking away having a good job. Yeah, well, I hope he's not listening to this because he, he probably got himself all in a bit of a lather having not spoken to you for five years. Obviously, he got lost up in the mountains, and he thinks, well, he's um, he's going to be able to sign you up. So, I'll never does he chat. Maybe we can get him to come on the podcast, and he, oh, he can tell us what he's been doing with digital assets. Because if it's a bank, you can almost guarantee they've got a team within there that's doing stuff with digital assets. And you know, why aren't they doing more? Or how much have they already done? That's not a bad idea. You know, it's funny. This particular bank is bigger out by you, and they have a different name out by you. And like the American branch has a an American name. It's it's fun. I I think ten years from now, it's going to be all about. I mean, ATM machine, ATM cards are going to be gone. Debit card. It's going to be all about peer to peer wallets and QR codes. There's a whole new generation to hire out there as well. Yep. I think later on funny. today, we're talking to to Effie, and and she's. Like, she worked literally down the street from me years and years ago. It's a very small world. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very small world. Um, 
you know, financial service sector, even on a global basis, people know, everyone seems to know someone who knows someone and it connects. And I think this is why things spread almost in a viral type manner, because people listen, hear about what's happening and say, oh, if you're doing that, maybe we need to be doing that. Um, And I think there is, there is, um, well, I know certainly in the asset management side, we've done a number of presentations with some of the sort of leading accountants and lawyers here in, in Europe. And the common thing that they're saying is, um, you know, we want to be a very, very close second. When this whole digitization thing starts happening, you know, we, we want to be there um, because we can see the benefits for our customers um, and from compliance point of view, which is which is quite interesting. So so that so the so the comment about the jobs is, is deadly serious because we've had a couple of people um, write into us and say, well, look, what, what's happening in the you know, in the, in the sector for, um, for, for people that are looking for jobs in the blockchain industry. And, and are there any actually sort of real jobs? Um, and we, we, we were looking at some information from a company called Hired.com. And they had, I thought, quite an interesting, they were looking at compensation for blockchain engineers. And in Seattle, the average salary is 166,000. Uh, in New York, it's uh, 100, nearly 167. LA, 174. And over here in Blighty, well, they put it in pounds, about eighty-eight thousand pounds. Which, if my maths is correct, that's you know just under a hundred thousand US dollars. So interesting to see. And then San Francisco, one hundred and seventy-two, and Chicago, one hundred and thirty-four. So interesting to see salaries um, in the UK a lot less. And maybe that goes to explain why we're seeing a lot of interesting companies setting up, particularly in the fintech sector. Um, businesses and in the blockchain space and, and I'm, I'm i'm including here both sort of crypto i know there's a huge amount of interest in web3 in the metaverse at the moment talking to some of our sort of professional contacts and also the straightforward using a blockchain technology in in a variety in in retail in agriculture um, as well as obviously financial services you know it's an interesting thing to bring up i'm not going to comment on the salaries I was reading them as well. I'm sure it's average, right? Like in New York, it says 167, 20 companies hiring. And are they going to face that challenge where they do? I experienced this as of yesterday. And I said, you know, I was like, I'm flattered. I think it's great. Are they going to face that challenge where people say, hmm, Thank you, but I'm quite happy now. Because when you look at your list, I, I don't want to be that guy that says 167. Listen, that's a fantastic salary, right? But yep. there's a lot of money in blockchain, let's be honest. We have 18-year-olds yep. making, you know, more in the, the lower level, not, not so much, you know, we deal with the professional side. We deal with legal and compliance, and we deal with, you know, entrepreneurs, but when you just think about trading alone, or even I might say developers that are releasing smart contracts, it's this is going to be a very dog eat dog world. Well, there's not many people who've got the skills. So talking to a firm of lawyers last week here in London, they're turning business away. They don't want to do any more business development. They 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 can't cope, and they're desperately and cannot find enough lawyers that have got some sort of crypto knowledge um so you know that's you know that that's that's quite interesting and then a lot of the work they're doing is web3 metaverse 
but but if you're looking for a job, look, there's there's specialist firms, um, you know, crypto job lists, crypto dot jobs, currencyjobs.co. Um, you've got global recruitment firms like Robert Walters, um, Reed, and Indeed. So there's a whole load of different places you can look. And in the article, we've we've got hot, hot links to all those people. We've also given a list of, um, I suppose, you know, if you feel that you need to brush up your skills or you feel, actually, I don't really understand that much about blockchain. Well, clearly you need to listen um, to Digital Bytes every week and you need to get a hold of the Digital Bytes um, hard copy. So all you've got to do is just email yourself, James, or me, find us on LinkedIn, or it'll be on, our, on the website very soon, as you say. But we've listed different places of you know there's a, a something called prospects which is a list of all the university courses um in 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 main, mainly europe to be fair or you got the sort of the the the, the chart into technology you got another thing called inves i-n-v-e-z-z and that's a list of all the european university college and, and the blockchain courses or i-x-l group in the u.s and that's all the different courses offering sort of how to do smart contracts and how does the theorem work and all bits and pieces like that. So people are retraining. Um, we are definitely seeing people being laid off from places like Coinbase, Crypto.com. So people have got some knowledge in this sector. But I think the biggest drive actually won't necessarily come from the crypto companies, but come from people like, you know, the, you know, the, the household names, the Unilevers, the Procter & Gamble's, the, the banks, the insurance companies because the technology and the digitization of the assets and services is becoming ingrained in that. And that, and we haven't even talked about the metaverse, as we've said several times, Citigroup reckon it's going to be worth up to 13 trillion by 2030. And the way it looks like at the moment, people are going to be transacting and trading in the metaverse is going to be the good old NFTs, non-fungible tokens. So again, needing to have some good understanding of how blockchain works and how digital assets are, are created and, and and then burned yeah it's a bright future for sure i don't i'm not i am not concerned about poverty <laughs> in this particular industry no no I, I think you're i think you're right and 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 sort of going on from that again it's a, a little bit a little bit sort of um financial services orientated which is obviously your background and mine uh james but we, we, again we were asked by um um, some people actually this request i don't know why but it came out of paris and they're saying well what's happening in the fx market because presumably in the foreign exchange market which is um, a very very liquid market literally um i think it's just over six trillion what is it 6.6 trillion dollars so that's a lot of noughts gets traded every single day and they're saying yeah but so blockchain won't be able to cope with that because it's clunky and it's slow and it can't process the transactions. So we, we did an article looking at how the technology is impacting on the, on the FX market. And in doing so, um, simply because of the geography of where the UK is, um, you know, we, we discovered the city of London actually turns over twice the amount of foreign exchange than New York, because obviously we're based between Asia and, and, and America's. And, what we're seeing is, is is there's been a continual growth in sort of global turnover of, of the foreign exchange market. And if you go back um, to only, well, if you go back to really sort of 2008, um, we have obviously a bit of a, a fall. It was just over three trillion a day. But now we're, we're nudging over, say, over six and a half trillion a day in 
turnover of foreign exchange. So these, these are really, really big numbers. And historically, one of the key parts um, and the way banks talk to each other is using something called Society for Worldwide Interfinancial Communi- Telecommunications. Sounds like something off our friends at Star Trek. Um, SWIFT, people would otherwise known. It established back in a- 1973 in Belgium. And it replaced the use of telex as a way for people to talk to each other. But alongside that, we're now seeing that um, the Arab Monetary Fund, their advisory council, they're saying, well, we like Ripple and we think Ripple should be used as an alternative to SWIFT. And obviously regular um, listeners will be more than familiar with Ripple and they have a cryptocurrency called XRP. Now, you just so, made so many people happy. You, <laughs> oh, the army well, is going to come alive out. right now. <laughs> the phones are lighting up. The XRP <laughs> army. Oh, no, there's thousands of them out there. Oh, my goodness. So Ripple is the new Swift. Well, that's what Ripple want to be. That's certainly. But, be, but bear in mind, XRP can, trans, can transfer value. Um, but Ripple as a, as a platform can be used in the same way Swift is in terms of message. Swift doesn't move money. It just simply says, oh, bank A owes money to bank B. And it, it makes sure that the information flows around. So, so think, think of it more like as a telex rather than a currency. That, you know, telex never move money. It simply said money was due to be moved from one place to another. But 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 I just well, one of the things which um, I think is really, really interesting, though, is in terms of using the technology, we've got Wells Fargo have created like a clearinghouse, which means that they can actually they're now um, working to, to replace potentially, um, you know, other ways of money being moved around. And even the Russians are getting involved in this. The Russians have got something called Rostec, which is an alternative way for Russians to make international payments. Because they've had to come up with something because they're being barred from using SWIFT. I was going to say, they, they have no choice. They better invent something fast. Well, yeah, they, they've got to, got to come up with something. So, you know, they're good or bad. They're trying to take just... away from, they're getting kicked, you know. I don't blame them is what I, is what I want to get out. I don't blame them because they need some sort of redundancy and, and, and backup for, obviously. Well, necessity is the mother of all inventions. Right. You know, how bizarre that we've probably seen some of the biggest creative inventive minds have come up as a result of sort of world wars. Um, you know, there were loads of things, certainly in world war two that were invented um, as a result of people saying, look, we've got to find a solution. We've got to find a way around this, you know, things like radar, for example, um, is a classic example. Um, so, yeah. So I suppose really what we want to just, you know, highlight to people is that there are lots and lots of ways um, lots of companies, you know, the likes of people like HSBC, State Street, all now using blockchain technology when it comes to um, foreign exchange settlement, which is a is a is a big. Most of us aren't exposed to it, James. You know, I know you you were working on Wall Street, but most of us you need to step back and say, okay, well, I'm I'm going to buy some bananas down at the supermarket, or I'm going to I need to get a a new bit for my vacuum cleaner. Well, that involves someone interacting nine times out of 10 with a country, with a producer, a supplier, a service, um, you know, offering in a different currency and they need to be paid and people need to buy dollars and sell Swiss francs or sell, sell, you know, pounds and buy yen and, you know, buy, buy the Chinese digital currency potentially. So all of that has to be facilitated in the FX market, which is why it's so 
you know, yes, there is a degree of speculation going on in the FX market, but it is real use cases of companies needing currency to settle their transactions. Right. And that's always been an issue with settlement time. Yeah. And obviously the big that the, the elephant in the room is how long will the US dollar be able to maintain its status as the world reserve currency? Because now we're seeing for the first time in any size, countries like Brazil, India, China, Russia saying we're going to buy and sell crude oil, but we're not going to use US dollars to do it. And, and that's been a, a big support of the US dollar um, since the 70s. People have transacted their trades, certainly in, 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 in crude oil. Typically, it's all, you had to go and buy dollars or if you sell crude oil, you're, you're selling it for US dollars and then you then have to go and put the money in something else. So certainly a lot of money in the Middle East had been buying you know, US government bonds, for example, because they've had so many US dollars, they've got to do something with it. So that, that, that's, a, that's something which, you know, we, we can't be naive about this. It is very, very likely in the next five years that the US dollar is not going to be used as much as a percentage of global trade as it has done over the last 10, 15 years. What's going to replace it? The jury's out. But certainly I think there's a very strong likelihood that its dominance is going to be significantly reduced. Not your bonds, not your money. But I have to go all DeFi. DeFi, the United <laughs> DeFi States of America. Well, the whole DeFi presents a real challenge there, doesn't it, for um, you know, for, for regulators and different jurisdictions, because by its very by its very nature, it, it is decentralized. It's, it's you own your own bank. Yeah. But what's happening? You you were saying that in in Georgia, they were looking at um, looking at what they'd done in Wyoming, and they were going to have some sort of DeFi sort of clarification. Any, were we any more advanced on that? I think, yeah, it's North Carolina. North Carolina has a uh, sandbox type of economy where if, you, if you're granted this ability by, I said this ability. <laughs> I almost sounded like I said disability. Disability, if, yeah. <laughs> if you're granted the ability to make this list in North Carolina, you uh, you are allowed to play in the financial world, specifically financial, with blockchain, creating contracts and coins, and you are not at risk for violating SEC laws, right? right? Because you're experimenting and you're evaluating, and you are, you know, this works, that doesn't work, okay. So I think it's interesting that individual states can make decisions legally about not only blockchain technology, but cryptocurrency specifically. And they are exempt or immune from the higher federal regulatory environment. So where does that line get drawn? They're trying to encourage experiment and innovation and try different things. Right. Now, you know, what's that fine line of, okay, this didn't work. And, you know, how brave are you knowing that the SEC may not be on you as much? Well, well, it's interesting. So in the in relation to um, DeFi here in the uh, UK, um, Her Majesty's government, which, my goodness, that's been all over the place with old Bojo, you know, it's finally having to be turfed out of 10 Downing Street. Um He's coming back to New York. 
I th- you said he was born in New York. I hadn't realized that. He was born in New York. Did you fact check me? He's an. I I take your word as gospel, James. Why would I question you? Have I really got a? Was he really born in New York? I'm gonna pull it up right now. I'm. I I am usually <laughs> very confident. I am typing uh, his name well. in. Come on. He was born. In Upper Side, East Side of Manhattan. The Upper East Side of Manhattan in 1964. What would we do with that Wikipedia? Your boy's a New Yorker. How you doing? New Yorker. <laughs> He's a New Yorker. <laughs> New Yorker. Okay, so but so just, just finish off, because I know we got Ify um, waiting to come through after the break, but um, I, I thought it was, um, it was interesting that the HMRC, so they're the people responsible for collecting the taxes and what have you here in the UK, um, and, and I'll just read out what they actually said um, when they were they've put in um, a call for evidence seeking views on taxation of uh, um, crypto loan staking within the context of DeFi. And what they're saying in particular, Her Majesty's government is interested in ascertaining whether administrative burdens and costs could be reduced for taxpayers engaging in this activity and whether the tax treatment can be better aligned with the underlying economics of the transaction involved. So in simplistic terms, if it works, if it's more efficient, we're interested. Um, and, you know, got the HRC certainly would appear to be, be engaging, wanting people's feedback, wanting people's ideas. And if there's a way that money can be collected automatically via a smart contract when a transaction is done, um, then why wouldn't the Inland Revenue, why wouldn't, um, you know, the tax authorities in any jurisdiction want a slice of the action? And I think to some extent that's one of the drivers behind these stable coins, these central bank digital currencies, whereby they're saying, well, you know, if it's digital, why can't we have our share of the tax that's due sooner rather than later? So at, a, at an economic level, we could well see the use of technology and, and potentially the rolling out of DeFi making, you know, even the collection of taxes much, much more effective. So I think we're going to see a lot more companies like Swarm Markets. If you remember, we had Timo and Philippe in the, in the past from uh, Germany, they're re- where they're regulated, talking about this. And that was the first licensed DeFi platform. I think we're going to see more licensed DeFi platforms coming on to um, in different jurisdictions. And we'll see more people following JP Morgan, where they're saying, yeah, we're going to put trillions of assets into the DeFi space as we tokenize our funds. So this could be one area which goes at the moment. It's about, 30, about 38 billion in total locked funds. We could see that go through to the trillions potentially within a couple of years, which, you know, that, that's a heck of a turnaround. Yeah, sometimes when you think globally, which hasn't been the case in the past two decades, right? When you start talking globally, it's some hundred trillion dollars, right? I mean, yeah, have assets under management, you know, right? your hedge funds and your mutual funds and your pension funds, hundred trillion. And, and that's the James, you know, again, I'm, I'm, we're biased. We've come from the financial services sector, but that's got to be a lot more interest, but more importantly, a lot more relevant to our listeners and our readers, because this is affecting your pension funds and your savings. And if we're going to see it more efficient and it's cheaper, and it means you can deal when you want to deal, as opposed to this stupid situation, moment, you can only deal once a day. And the price that you're given is comes from the asset manager that manages the money. Whereas in a digital environment, there's no reason why you can't trade anytime 24 seven. And the price is actually made by the market, by market makers 24 seven. So if you want to buy your fund, sell a fund, you can do it when you want. 
that that's treating customers fairly. So we could well see regulators globally saying, why can't you in the paper analog world meet the same levels of standard and customer expectation that's now possible using technology? So that's going to be a big shift. But there's going to be, I say, hopefully next week we can reveal a bit more information about what's been happening over here in the UK to that extent, because I think there's a couple of announcements due out next week on this. I'll be there with my socks on waiting. And very importantly, I understand Big Boy's got his birthday next week as well. I am another. I am getting old. You've I'm getting old for this. another year. Another year. I'll be 47 next week. You've been 47 the last three years. What are you talking about? You must be older than that. I know, right? I feel <laughs> old. I have the heart of a young boy in a jar on my desk. <laughs> The heart of a lion. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we better we better stop chiddly chattling on. Um, after the break, we've got um, Ify coming on, and she's slaying the myth of Bitcoin scarcity and saying, well, hang on, everyone keeps going on about there's only 21 million of these flipping Bitcoins. But is that true? Funny enough, we, we touched on this last week. Do you remember with Charlie, Charlie Morris, and, and we were talking about the bold index, which was the combination of a gold and Bitcoin um, index type product. And we were talking there about how cash Bitcoin is around about 8 billion. But when you add in all the other forms of derivatives and futures and options, we see Bitcoin trading at around about 40 billion a day, which he was saying, actually, it makes, you know, Bitcoin after gold, the second most traded alternative investment um, in the marketplace, despite the, the volatility and the price falls we've seen recently. But we say we've got Ify coming up after the break and we'll be talking to her about slaying the myth of Bitcoin scarcity, James. Slay the myth. Get your big sword out and shield. I have a feeling we are going to have fun with that. Let's find out. Okay. Coming up after this. Thank you. This is real-time music playing, cryptocurrency paying, free money radio, cyber.fm. In this podcast, we sit down with our new friend Effie Polarinu. She wrote an article, Slaying the Myth of Bitcoin Scarcity. The amount and variety of Bitcoin IOUs and the opaqueness of the collateral used in 24-7 trading venues has resulted in an extremely fragile market. Hi, my name is Johnny Fry and delighted to be joined by my, not my Ify friend, but my friend Ify um, Palaranu. Have I got that right, Ify? That is pretty accurate. You are wonderful, Johnny. <laughs> it's a difficult Greek name, not a common one. It does not end that, uh, you know, the usual Papadopoulos, Opoulos, you know. <laughs> Papadopoulos, so that's, true. that's true. Well, you, you've yeah. done, a, done a fascinating article um, entitled Slaying the Myth of Bitcoin Scarcity. And you've, you've wandered back to um, when you were at Sal. Solomon Brothers, and I know James, I'm sure he'll, he'll want to say a few things. James Tiley, uh, my co-host on, on, on the podcast today. And um, you, were, you were talking, of, you know, you've, you've given us a bit of a history lesson and talking about Orange County derivatives and bits and pieces. But can you just elaborate a little bit about what, what, what do you mean by the myth of Bitcoin scarcity? What, the fact people say there's only 21 million of them? Well, I mean, there's 21 million that we can mine. And, you know, we, we all know that I think up to date, we have something a little bit more than 19 million that are already mined. Yep. So everybody's, 
you know, fixated with the Bitcoin scarcity, and so am I, by the way. Um, you know, we can think of it as a digital commodity that is algorithmically scarce, so nobody can intervene and create, you know, more or alter the algorithm, and and, and that's that, despite the forks that, that are around. But you know, we humans find ways to mess up everything. <laughs> and in my opinion, and, 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 and what I'm, you know, explaining in, in the article is that we have found several ways to create so many, um, what I would call uh, 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 artificial, if you want, Bitcoins in the market. And we've done that in two main ways. One is there are derivatives out there, right? There's futures, be it traded on um, regulated exchanges like the CME, um, whether they are expiring, you know, every quarter or they're perpetual. We have unregulated venues, exchanges that offer futures, uh, options, swaps of all sorts. And then on top of that, we have created and, and grown and exploded the DeFi space. And what was happening in the DeFi space, we created a web of lending machines. So think of Bitcoin, because that's where I want to, to, to focus. And think of all the lending that can be done through the DeFi protocols collateralized by, by Bitcoin. And then you grasp the idea that it's as if we have no ceiling to, to fractional reserve banking. Imagine a world that, you know, Bitcoin is, is the currency or the asset and banks or entities can lend as much as they want. Infinity is, 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 is the limit, sort of speak. And that's the world that we have created. But we've created Does that world not just for But if you, we've, we've created that world not just for Bitcoin. As you say, you know, central bankers can, um, you know, der- it's interesting, the word derivatives, you know, it, it, it's, you know, you can create a derivative out of almost anything, out of, out of a commodity, out of an equity, out of a debt instrument, out of mortgage security, you know, you go, and the derivatives market is arguably the biggest asset class in the world. And so along comes Bitcoin with their 21 million, of which are interesting, as you say, um, was it chain analysis reckon that um, a fair few number of these have actually already been lost. So um, that, that was an expensive thing to do to go and lose your Bitcoin. But that, that's perhaps a slightly different topic for us to look at another day. So Bitcoin I don't have to have a Bitcoin necessarily to benefit from the ups and downs. I can have a derivative of it, as you say, and that's almost unlimited yes. in terms of how many I can create or yeah. not create, but how much exposure I get one times, 10 times, hundred times exposure to one Bitcoin. Exactly. Exactly. So let's, let's round the numbers. As you said, I think based on chain analysis numbers, it's estimated that there are actually about 15 million, one, 5 million Bitcoins out there. So if you are an institutional investor that is looking 
for size, right? You want, you know, maybe to reach Michael Saylor's, you know, uh, portfolio has nearly 130,000 Bitcoins, right? So you're looking for 10,000, 100,000 Bitcoins. Where are you going to find them? There's a limited amount. So what do you do? You go to the derivatives market. And the other thing is that the custodians that are actually keeping these, you know, digital Bitcoins, nobody knows whether they are rehypothecating them, using them as collateral for several, you know, um, structures, derivative structures or structured products. Nobody knows that. In a way, this is exactly what was happening before the subprime crisis on, as you said, any financial asset. It was mainly mortgages at the time, but we could do that with any asset. So the disappointment here is, in my opinion, that we have a, a brilliant digital asset like Bitcoin, and we're not using its gift, which is, you know, we could use its trans, uh, uh, traceability and, and, and transparency, and that way know where all the collateral is and which counterparties are holding what. But we don't. Look at what happened with the DeFi meltdown recently, you know, with Luna and Terra and, and everything that happened after that with Celsius and so on. Nobody knows who the counterparties are involved and we are waiting, holding our breath. Who's the next one that, that, that will blow up? So this is, you know, we, we have not improved in terms of uh, making markets less fragile and making them more transparent and managing risk and, and collateral management. So this is the point. And we're doing this with Bitcoin, for God's sake, which is a, a, a gift from God. It's, it's scarce and it's traceable. And we've managed with our centralized DeFi places, you know, companies and with these structures like we have an ETF approved, but it's on futures of Bitcoin, not on spot. Uh, I mean, what are we doing? But, uh, well, and, and if you, you know, it's a double, what are we doing? When, and, and very helpfully in your article, you, you, you pointed out and gave some really useful hyperlinks to some of this stuff. Um, and you, you gave us an example. You reminded us back in December 1994 with, with Orange County being the first, as you say, the first casualty of investment malpractice. Would you mind just talking us through briefly that? Because, you know, this is, What's happening with Bitcoin is really nothing new, is it? It is not uh, uh, nothing new. And um, it, again, it's, it's very disappointed that it happens uh, with, with this specific uh, asset. Because if you look back to the Orange County debacle, um, uh, the municipality was uh, taking investment views with respect to interest rates, right, that they would be remain low, they would have rise, and they were uh, gaining exposure through complex derivatives. And when 
their investment view went sour. So interest rates started rising, the yield curve changing uh, uh, shape. Then they, they basically blew up. And the blow up included this issue of who are the counterparties that are taking the opposite view um, the margin calls that are involved in these situations and the illiquidity that is created in the market because there's nobody that wants to unwind and take these, these positions. And we are in the same situation right now. And, and, and if, if you, I, I, I know this podcast isn't necessarily about it, but I, I must just um, point out to the listeners I would thoroughly recommend you did a great interview with um, your, your friend, uh, Dr. Eliko Filo, um, and talk about governance on tokenization and how you know, we can learn. There's a lot that's happened in traditional finance and it's happened for a reason and sort of collateral management and governance and things like that. And, I, and you know, we really can learn from our past mistakes and we should incorporate that as we're seeing more and more money being potentially moving into the DeFi space. Because, you know, we don't have to reinvent it. We can, we can learn from previous mistakes and hopefully move the, um, the sector forward much faster and much safer. A hundred percent. And, and um, you know, if you add that uh, the, the crypto markets are uh, markets that uh, uh, operate 24-7 uh, globally, it is clear that, that we need to uh, start from somewhere, as, as you said, gain insights from what we know from over-the-counter derivative markets that also may be working uh, 24-7 and, and globally and adapt some of the uh, risk management uh, insights that have been gained over the years. Because at the end of the day, if we look at Every financial crisis, it is triggered by essentially a liquidity crisis. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there are specifics in every uh, case, but it's always a liquidity crisis that um, makes, you know, the markets fall apart. So yeah. uh, cryptocurrencies are no different. And, and we need to decide how we're going to deal with this. Are we going to be waiting for regulators from different jurisdictions to decide what kind of breaks and restrictions they're going to put into the the market to protect? Or are the players in the market going to decide that there are best practices that we can adopt? And most of them are around uh, transparency, basically, we ha- we have the, uh, the uh, way to do this. Yeah, and it's well, and it's interesting because, um, like myself, you 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 can remember when actually a lot of the markets you know, were self-regulated, and and we didn't, and the and the role of the regulator wasn't wasn't nowhere near as as dominant as it is now, and certainly the DeFi space has the opportunity to 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 actually self-regulate, get its own house in order, so to speak before regulators start coming in and making draconian sort of sweeping statements and regulations, which could kill off some of the innovation. But I, I'm mindful we, we, we really ought to sort of wrap it up. But, but, but James, you've been very patient. 
Um, I know you are an ex-Wall Street man yourself. Any any thoughts on, on what Ify has been saying here today? Oh, my goodness. Ify, I am so enamored by you. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Think about the, what she's talking about. I've been, I'm so glad I found you. Look, I'm, I'm in radio and I'm speechless. I, I'm going to say, Bitcoin. I'm going to read a famous sentence to anybody who's deep into Bitcoin. A purely peer-to-peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. This is the very first sentence in the white paper for Bitcoin. I believe she, if if he is so on point about, I mean, just that sentence alone validates where we started and where we've gone. I, we all know my famous, I bought my bacon, egg and cheese sandwich with 1.89 Bitcoin over on VC Street in Manhattan back in the day. And I said to myself, I love this. This is the future. And bringing Ify, reading her article that she wrote up, you're talking about this 21 million supply, which might very well be, I don't know, 15. You know, I, I, I read your article twice. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it's people don't understand what we've done. And, and you could, I'm not saying it's bad or good, but, but we've modified we made it normal. We traditional finance, or tarnished it. Not normal, but we've tarnished and taken the pureness almost out of it. I wasn't gonna. I, right. I mean, I'm not a maximalist by any stretch of the imagination, but as a like, I grew up, grew up as an adult. You know, running to North Tower, trying to grab a sandwich in between. I was doing the high frequency trading. I was into finance. If he probably hung out with one of my peers, Mike, right over at Solomon, and she gets it. I'm, I'm just enamored. This, this whole sounds like you got a fan, Ify. This yeah, whole... I got a fan. I mean, you know what? <laughs> what I'm hearing from you, James, it's like, you know, we have turned our society. We have financialized everything, and and. You know, we've taken away from Bitcoin what the sacredness that it has. Yes, that 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 is for me. You know, we can say it. Uh, we can say it that way. And um, we we have allowed this to happen, uh, and and we have allowed it to scale up. And um, you know, we we need to to admit this, take a hard look uh, in the mirror. And, and see what we need uh, to do. It's a great opportunity to take a stance, and this can be done by, you know, a couple of major players, the ones especially that are acting now in the crypto industry as the lenders of last resort, trying to help those that are in trouble. Um, I think that this is the time to... Um, self-regulate, keep everybody accountable for best practices and and show the world that we can do this otherwise. Because 
If not, it's just another financial asset, and here we go again. Yeah, it, it, was, it, it was built for my son to go buy a sandwich. That was the intention. Listen, I love the idea of trading crypto. I do it. I'm guilty of it. But why our precious Bitcoin? Why did we take this 21 million limited <laughs> su supply and, in a way, you could say with derivatives and bifurcation, it's unlimited. It's an infinite amount. We've taken away its pure, purity. I'm going to frame, well, I'm going to print and, out and, the article, I'm going to frame it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? I mean, I, I always think of this uh, uh, huge spider in, in the 2008 subprime crisis. It was the central banks. Think of the central bank, uh, the Federal Reserve, as a huge spider that allowed all this web of debt to, to be created. Basically, they did that. And now, who's the spider? The mm -hmm. spider is some other entities. It's not the central banks. It's not, you know, uh, JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs. Who is it? It is the, some of the DeFi entities. It is the, the custodians of Bitcoin. It is the exchanges that are, you know, providing all this leverage. It's all these crypto players. So they are creating this web of um, lending and leveraging and resulting in flash crash crashes. And I mean, in the notional amount of Bitcoin that is traded in the market must be in the order of billions. I've looked at some data, daily data, that you know points to the fact that it is huge amount. So we really need to decide how to deal with this. I don't know what the answer is. Is it to actually put some limits, much like in reserve banking? What I do know is that the solution is transparency, transparency of counterparties, collateral management, and so on. There's no other way to do this. Right. Well, I need to be... I I want to be on your second show when you come back with how do we fix this? Where do we go from here? You got to invite me. Okay. Okay. There you go. We you will do that. So we'll, sounds like yes. we've got another, another sort of topic for one of your podcasts, but thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. Thank you, James. Um, the, the slaying the myth of Bitcoin scarcity sounds like this subject could, could run and run. And interestingly, you know, people talk about things like Bitcoin. Oh, it's all smoke and mirrors. Well, maybe the smoke and mirrors don't necessarily come from Bitcoin, but come from some of the tools that have corrupted and infected our financial markets, um, i.e. the big bad derivatives. And uh, maybe they've actually, unfortunately, in this case, um, undermined something that was meant to be a lot more simple than certainly it is at the moment. But, but if you thank you very much for joining us today. And um, as I say, hopefully we'll be back again on the air with, with, a, with another topic talking to you very soon. Thank you very much for having me. If you want to get in touch with Effie, email her, connect at effiepilinaro.com. That's E-F-I-P-Y-L-A-R-I-N-O-U dot com.